This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Good Things on the Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. Research and development in medicine has progressed leaps and bounds over the past decades. We've seen vaccines and drugs being developed at breakneck pace to treat and cure diseases that we know and to prepare for future pandemics as well. And yet... Today, not every disease gets the same attention or resources that some do. One of the organisations that has focused its mission on tackling these neglected diseases is Drugs for Neglected Diseases Initiative, also known as DNDI. And it is actually their 20th anniversary this year. So in conjunction with that, joining me in the studio today um, to talk about the work that they do is Jean-Michel Piedanel, Director of DNDI Southeast Asia. Jean-Michel, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, um, unfortunately, not many people have actually heard of DNDI. So how would you describe what is it that DNDI does to someone you would meet on the street? It's not surprising that people haven't heard so much because we are not necessarily a public organization. We Mm -hmm. work mostly with governments and uh, uh, institutions. Um, to, to, I think there's two key words to describe uh, DNDI. The first one is non-for-profit and the second one is collaborative. So non-for-profit, it means uh, we're we're not an NGO. You know, people often associate non-for-profit with NGOs. Mm -hmm. We actually have governments um, in our board of directors. So that doesn't qualify us for a non-governmental organization. So we are not an NGO, but we are non-for-profit. So it means the aim of the organization is not to make uh, money, but it Mm -hmm. is to deliver uh, treatment for the most neglected diseases. So that's the first thing. And the second aspect is, um, although we are um, an organization that uh, develop treatments mm-hmm. from discovery, uh, from finding a new molecule to putting it on the market, we are we do not have our own labs, we do not have our own uh, facilities. We work in collaboration with public institutions, private businesses, universities. So that's where we are a collaborative organization. Mm, you're connecting different people in different um, fields and, and, and industries, right? Uh, absolutely. I think we're, we're very much like a facilitator, mm. a program manager. So we, we look at a disease, you know, so what we call neglected tropical disease. We look at them and say, okay, what kind of uh, program do we need to put in place to be able to deliver a new treatment? Mm. How did DNDI then come to be 20 years ago? You know, what was the, the reason behind setting up this organization? So the the driver behind uh, the creation of the NDI was very much uh, Médecins Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders, which is a a very big medical organization uh, originally created in France. That's why it's got a French name, but it's now really international and and global. And um, the the reality, so I come from uh, this organization, which we call MSF, uh, the reality is, you know, I, I remember being um, working for MSF in uh, Sierra Leone and we were driving our land cruiser uh, in the country and, and on the way, so people knew we would pass by and people were waiting for, it was a war-torn country, so people were waiting for us to, to pass by and we collected um, 
a very severe uh, malaria patient, a mm-hmm. TB patient, and an HIV patient. And mm-hmm. it was around the 2000, so like 25 years ago. And the reality at the time was that the treatment we were going to give to the malaria patient was ineffective. Mm-hmm. There was no treatment for the HIV patient. And uh, the TB, maybe the only program that was more or less functioning was the TB program. Okay, so doctors uh, in Médecins Sans Frontières realized that they lacked the, the, the drug, the medicine, to uh, treat patients. And then when you look at it, you realize that there is a lack of investment in what is called neglected tropical disease. Mm-hmm. Why? Because there is no big profit to make. There is no market. Uh, neglected tropical disease, it's um, uh, diseases that affect a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, but they're all poor, if you want, or they all come from uh, poor countries. So therefore, uh, there is not enough research made. And, and so DNDI was created to fill in that gap. Well, it's not the only uh, solution, but it's mm-hmm. one of the solutions that um, many of us uh, in Médecins Sans Frontières, but also outside of Médecins Sans Frontières, felt uh, one of the solutions that was needed to fill in that gap and what we called at the time the fatal imbalance Mm -hmm. uh, in research and development. Fatal because people were dying from it and imbalance because if you look at where money is put in research and development for um, developing new treatment, it's mostly uh, in diseases that affect high-income countries. Mm. And I understand that it wasn't just Médecins Sans Frontières who was involved in this, right? Who are the other stakeholders that came together to establish the NDI? So from the onset, we had that sense that uh, we wanted a collaborative organization, but collaborative with endemic countries. Mm -hmm. So countries that were affected by uh, those neglected tropical disease. So we um, uh, did, uh, we looked around and asked uh, various countries if they wanted to to join this initiative. You could call it an initiative at the time. And so we we have a a board of directors in the funding members of uh, DNDI. You have Fiocruz, which is a Brazilian um, uh, public research organization. You have... um, the the Kemri, which is uh, the Kenyan Medical Research Institute, and you have the ICMR, the Indian uh, Research Institute, and the Ministry of Health of Malaysia. Mm. So, so the Ministry of Health of Malaysia at the time saw that initiative as something really interesting in terms of R&D, something needed, and decided to be one of the founding members of uh, DNDI. So that, that if let's call it Global South for a better word, that's Mm -hmm. Global South focus at the beginning was very much there. Um, And then, of course, we had Médecins Sans Frontières and the uh, Pasteur Institute, which is a big research organization that joined the the funding members. Mm. So DNDI really is an international um, um, organization, but at the same time, your work is very much focused in endemic um, countries, especially in the Global South, right? Absolutely. Because most of the uh, diseases that we call neglected tropical disease, uh, so there are diseases with names that probably you've never heard, like Chagas disease, leishmanios, sleeping sickness, uh, mycetoma, filarial disease. Um, Those countries affect uh, poor people mostly, Um, not only, but in Latin America, in Africa, 
in India, and they do not affect so much countries in Southeast Asia, to be fair. Um, that's why you probably never heard uh, the names. But uh, these countries are really, if you want, a lot in tropical uh, countries, huh? these diseases. Yeah. Mm. Um what is then the focus of DNDI Southeast Asia here in Malaysia, considering that a large chunk of the, the diseases that DNDI looks at is in, in, in these other countries that you mentioned about uh, on the African continent in India? Yeah. So, so when we created DNDI, we, all, we had a focus on malaria, mm -hmm. which we don't have anymore because we've delivered two treatments that have uh, been used by millions of people. And, you know, anecdotally, the first clinical trial or the first research that was done was done in Malaysia mm -hmm. on uh, a combination. It was done in Penang. And then we moved away from malaria. And it's true that for a certain number of years, we were a bit dormant. But then we came back in 2015 in Malaysia very strongly around hepatitis C, mm -hmm. which is not a neglected tropical disease uh, per se, but which it, it is a disease where uh, patients were being neglected. So although there was uh, treatment available, they were not available to the many that needed them, them because they were too expensive. Well, that's a, a long story that uh, that uh, we we decided to engage with in uh, in Malaysia and a very successful one. Maybe we have time to come back to it later. So uh, we came back on hepatitis C and on now on dengue. So the, which of course affect uh, Southeast Asia a lot. Hmm. And in like you say, in both these cases, it's not that people are not aware of the disease, but there are problems with accessibility to it, which leads to patients being neglected. Well, I think uh, sleeping sickness, you know, which is uh, a disease that affects people uh, mostly in Africa, is a very good example mm -hmm. of uh, there was a treatment, mm -hmm. uh, but this treatment would kill one out of 20 patients. Wow. Because it was arsenic uh, deri uh, derivative. So imagine you're a doctor. Um, so sleeping sickness is a disease that affects the nervous system. And if you don't get cured, you die from it. But at the beginning, you don't feel you have it. So you are mm. diagnosed with um, a sleeping sickness or African trypanosomias. And we tell you, you need to be cured, otherwise you will die. You feel perfectly healthy. But there is a one chance of 20 that we will kill you as we, tre we treat you. You know, this is incredible dilemma for the patients and for the doctors. So we embarked into finding a, a solution for, for this disease. And we found one first, uh, very fairly quickly, but it was a very complex one. It involved a lot of logistic. And since this disease affects really remote and poor areas in Africa, uh, it was not convenient at all. So we mm. looked into uh, a new molecule, a new chemical entity, and identified Fexinidazole very quickly has a potential uh, treatment mm -hmm. and embark in the development of that treatment. So you, 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 finding a new treatment, developing a new treatment, a new chemical entity, it's 10 years. Huh? It's a long uh, process. And today you have uh, a treatment uh, for about um, uh, 10 days with one pill a day mm. and 100% uh, cure rate. So, you know, this is really fexinidazole and sleeping sickness is best example of what DNDI is about. It's about uh, finding a solution, an effective solution for diseases which are totally neglected by uh, the main paradigm of uh, research and development, which is the big pharmaceutical companies paradigm. 
And, and we now have a new uh, chemical entity coming up for a sleeping sickness, and that would be one pill. You can imagine. Suddenly you can talk about, you can think about eliminating that disease. Mm. If you go in a village, a remote village, where you have one patient, you can treat everyone and ensure um, that, that the disease is eliminated in that village. So, so this, is, this is really the idea that drove the creation of the NDI. Mm. And it's really step by step, isn't it? You go from, okay, at first you have treatment, but it's going to kill one in 20 people. And from there you move on to better treatment that has a good cure rate for everyone. But, you know, it's a longer um, time period in terms of how many pills people have to take. And then from there now you're moving yes. on another step yes. towards just one pill. It's yes. step by step. In, in uh, uh, medical R&D, you do what you call pipelines. Mm. You create a pipeline. You can't just rely on one drug. So you, you, you have a short-term, medium-term and longer-term pipeline. And the longer-term pipeline usually involve screening uh, different molecules, uh, so we, which is what we do. We, many of our colleagues um, have uh, are coming from big pharma. I mean, big pharma does have an important role to play. Um, they have big catalogs of molecules, so we manage to secure access to uh, those catalogs, and then we we screen them against our disease and are able to identify, but it's a long process, huh? mm -hmm. we are able to identify some leads which we then can work on. And uh, the screening process is actually done in uh, South Korea. Mm. So again, highlighting that collaborative facilitating Absolutely. process. Yeah. And on the show with me today is Jean-Michel Piedanel, Director of Drugs for Neglected Diseases Initiative here in Southeast Asia. And he's joining me um, on today's episode of Good Things in conjunction with the NDI's 20th anniversary. We'll be back after a quick break to continue this discussion. So keep it here on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Good Things on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. This year, 2023, marks the 20th anniversary of Drugs for Neglected Diseases Initiative, which is an international collaboration between um, seven different stakeholders involving international organisations, involving research institutes and even governments. Um, and that includes Malaysia's Ministry of Health right here. So joining me on the show today is Jean-Michel Piedanel, Director of DNDI Southeast Asia, to share more about the work that DNDI has been doing globally, but also what they've been doing here in Malaysia as well. Now, Jean-Michel, one of the key um, achievements of DNDI Southeast Asia, which you touched on earlier, was the was related to hepatitis C. Could you walk us through how much of an achievement was that to be able to deliver a better treatment for patients to improve their access to life-saving treatment? So it, it was a major achievement for us and for Malaysia to, to deliver this treatment. So let me walk you a little bit through the story. When we, when we looked in hepatitis C in 2015, mm -hmm. um, our R&D director at the time knew, because he came from the industry, he, he knew we would end up with a, a kind of a duopoly, which is exactly what we have today. Today mm -hmm. we have two major players, Gilead and Abvi, uh, who deliver, uh, uh, who have basically imposed themselves as leaders in the hepatitis C treatment market. And we knew that price mm -hmm. would be an issue. When those treatments were first available, so they are called DAAs, directly acting antivirals, um, it's a revolution for hepatitis C treatment. You, you, you come from a, a treatment that was 50% uh, cure rate before, 
pegated in Teflon with incredible massive side effects. You know, people having to take this treatment for one year and being unable to work, being unable to be a mother, being unable to be a father, you know, mm-hmm. for, for one year because of the side effects of this, uh, of this treatment. And suddenly you got the DAAs, 97% cure rate, three months treatment, no uh, side effects. So, of course, that's revolution mm. should be accessible to all. You know? uh, hepatitis C is a huge problem. You've got millions of people that have it. Unfortunately, when the first treatments were available, they cost 60 to 80,000 US dollars per treatment. Okay, that's the price of a flat in, uh, in some areas of, of Malaysia. Crazy. It's the price of a car. So what we wanted to do was uh, to show that it was possible to develop an effective treatment at a much lower cost. We identify a molecule, uh, which is called Ravidasvir, and then we um, spoke with uh, uh, the Thailand Ministry of Health and the Malaysian Ministry of Health mm-hmm. and uh, proposed to uh, work on showing that this combination, Sofosbivir-Ravidasvir, is as effective as the, the treatments that were coming on on the market. Uh, because those countries knew they were going to have a problem of access, they uh, joined us and then we did a, a clinical trial to show the efficacy of this new treatment. And we've delivered. We've shown that the soft Ravidasvir has got 97% cure rate. It's um, a very safe, very effective treatment. Um, it, it, it doesn't have any what you call drug-drug interaction issues. So it means that even if you are on a, another treatment, you can still take uh, uh, this treatment. And uh, the Ravidasvir so is a new chemical entity. So, of course, for a medical research organization, a new chemical entity is the holy grail. Mm-hmm. That's what you want to do. You know, you want to put a, a new molecule on the market. That's what makes you proud of uh, the job you do. So Ravidasvir is a new molecule. It's effective. So on that uh, aspect, we delivered. But a second uh, interesting element of this work that we did with the Ministry of Health here is how we deliver this treatment. And that's what we call a, a South-South collaboration. So you've got Thailand, Malaysia. Uh, the industrial partner was from Egypt. Mm-hmm. Egypt has been a leading country in terms of hepatitis C elimination. Um, and then us, but also we got some funding from Médecins Sans Frontières, MSF, to support the development, find another organization like DNA. So we showed that uh, it was possible to deliver an effective treatment with a different way. You know, there is no big pharma in, mm. that, um, in that picture. And that worked. So that's the, 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 the second level. So new chemical entity, South-South collaboration. But the third level is the Ministry of Health and the government of Malaysia saw the opportunity here to have a very strong access strategy meaning they saw an opportunity to challenge the status quo of the high um, cost of drugs and to use, basically use us, use the work we were doing to create a more competitive market in Malaysia. And as soon as you have more competition, the price goes down. So you got these three aspects, new chemical entity, South-South collaboration and access strategy for, for Malaysia. And today... 
Malaysia in Southeast Asia is the country that has uh, access to three treatments at the cheapest price of all of Southeast Asia. Mm. Even countries which on paper have access to very cheap drugs for different reasons, because it's never that easy, still pay more than Malaysia. So I think it's a huge success to the credit, really, of Malaysia. Mm. You've, 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 men- you've mentioned um, you know, pharmaceutical companies a lot of times in these discussions and for a lot of lay people in the public, right, they're seen as the big villains because you know people often think, oh, they charge high prices for drugs and in the case of hepatitis C, people did see that. How does DNDI navigate that minefield then? Because at, at, on the one hand, you know, pharmaceutical companies have the funds to do research. But on the other hand, we want to make sure that they are able to provide um, access, accessible, affordable treatment. Um, mm. What does the NDI hope to see change in this? Do you work together with pharmaceutical companies, the bigger ones especially? So, so we do use our work to challenge the status quo. We do use our work to say, look, it's possible. It doesn't need to be that expensive. Mm-hmm. So when we when we look into new treatments, cost and access is uh, if we cannot guarantee that from the beginning, we don't even get involved. Mm-hmm. And then we show that it's not as expensive as uh, big pharmaceutical companies claim, and we use that to do policy advocacy on a patent, on um, re- the cost of research, the cost of drugs. And we still, nevertheless, have a very uh, rich conversation with uh, big pharmaceutical companies. So it's, it's it's a bit of a paradox, mm-hmm. but uh, pharmaceutical companies are happy to work with us for different reasons. Uh, some because um, they genuinely have, you know, maybe they have a branch in their uh, company that deals with, that wants to uh, show that they care about tropical disease. Uh, maybe because it sometimes undermines the market share of a competitor. So, in fact, we do get uh, a good working relationship with big pharmaceutical companies. And big pharmaceutical companies are um, part of the solution. They do have a huge expertise. They do have uh, access to huge catalogs of uh, interesting molecules. So they are part of the solution to finding treatment for neglected tropical diseases. And also profit, you know, there's nothing wrong with profit. Uh, And that is, you know, uh, something that DNDI is very comfortable with. We are not against profit. You do need to make money to be able to develop drugs. The problem we have is huge profits, Mm. massive profits. It's the margins. Yes, and I think COVID has just shown us, for example, uh, you know, I think people people resent that. And, And rightly, I think people resent the fact that all the big pharmaceutical companies are making so much money on the back of a crisis that has affected so many people mm. and has brought so much misery to people. And I think the big pharma uh, needs to understand that. They need to be more transparent about the cost, which they are not, about the cost of R&D. I think they hide behind a so-called high cost of R&D to be able to um, charge very, very high prices. But if you look... Uh, at the you know the the, the how much uh, I mean the, the the profit that these companies make it's insane, mm. insane. Mm. So so for the NDI, it's that area that we are challenging when we discuss with big pharma, insane profits, unacceptable profits. It's not about closing the doors to discussion, right? It's about finding ways that you can keep that conversation going and talk to them and yeah. find ways to work together. Yeah, yeah. Um, how is DNDI then also funded? 
So as, as I mentioned, we are a non-for-profit organization. So we get our, uh, uh, money from donations, mm -hmm. uh, from grants. Uh, this is how we get funded. We, uh, we, have, we receive money from governments. We receive money from philanthropists. Uh, and uh, we also, um, for, for example, when we work on uh, hepatitis C in Malaysia, mm -hmm. our industrial partners, so like um, uh, Farco in Egypt, but also Farmaniaga in uh, Malaysia, and now Mahidol University in Thailand, mm -hmm. put money on the table. You know, they see the value of uh, developing these uh, drugs, not necessarily the, the, the direct value of, of making profit from Uh, from selling the drug, but of working with an organization on a new chemical entity. You know, mm -hmm. remember those are generic manufacturers. They are not used to working with a new chemical entity. So mm -hmm. they also value the fact that they are going to work with us on um, uh, putting a dossier for registration on a new chemical entity. So, so, and therefore they are happy to finance part of the project. So this is how we, we get uh, our funding, basically grants, donation, partnership. Mm. Um, and from there, how do you decide what do you prioritize? All right, so um, we reviewed our portfolio, for example, recently. So we, we engage with uh, what we call our stakeholders. So mm -hmm. in the region, we, we did a few workshops with uh, the Ministry of Health in Thailand, the Ministry of Health of Malaysia spoke with Um, uh, physicians and say, okay, what are the main uh, issues? Of course, dengue came up very strongly um, in the region, in Brazil, in Africa, in India. It's a major concern, dengue, but also the other flavivirus like uh, Zika virus and so on, you know, uh, chikungunya. Mm -hmm. So people tell us this is something we, we want you to look into. We then look whether we feel we can make a difference. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's very important also not to embark in uh, an adventure on a disease where maybe the science is not there yet. Uh, so we look at the science, we look at the latest, and then we, we decide to, uh, then we recommend to our board of directors, so mm -hmm. which includes uh, Malaysia, to move into a new disease like dengue or mycetoma or filarial disease. Uh, which is what we did for dengue. Mm -hmm. um, we recommended that we, we moved uh, into uh, this new area. So we've only started like 18 months ago mm. uh, into dengue. But it's, we, we used a lot our experience with Malaysia around hepatitis C and especially the collaboration with the Ministry of Health. How Malaysia owned uh, the research and development we did around hepatitis C was very inspiring mm -hmm. for uh, DNDI as a whole organization. And we wanted to re recreate that uh, condition in the dengue uh, work that we are going to do. So we, rather than leading the project alone, what we did, which is often what we do, we, we created an alliance Um, of countries, of endemic countries. We've, so we have now uh, an alliance of equal partners. Mm -hmm. uh, usually we are a bit, we are driving, but here <laughs> we, we want really equal partnerships. So we have Brazil, India, Thailand and Malaysia. All endemic countries? All endemic countries. All what we call, you know, global south countries, whichever way we want to, to call them, or mm -hmm. higher middle income countries. Or, but, you know, countries which are directly concerned by uh, dengue. And, and we are working together on this uh, new initiative. 
I think there was a lot of doubt at the at the beginning, you know, especially from from um, colleagues in the okay, let's call it the global north, Western countries, that you know what would we do? Uh, how would a scientific conversation be without the big shot? You know, without Pasteur <laughs> Institute, without Oxford, or um, and actually the, the the scientific conversation is excellent, including without them, because. What we have now, we have researchers who know the disease. You know, mm. it's not just a virus. Dengue for them is not just a virus. It's patients. It's a health system. It has significant impact on the population. Absolutely. And it's something that they see through the lens, not of a microscope only, mm. but also through the lens of patients. And that uh, has changed totally the way I think we are... Um, the narrative and the way we are engaging on dengue. And I hope it will make a difference because, you know, for the last 30 years, dengue research has been led uh, in, a, in a specific way by uh, institution in the global north. And I hope that by bringing endemic countries in the driving seat, we will see a difference. Mm. Dengue is something that many Malaysians are intimately familiar with. Absolutely. And yet, for years, we've not seen, uh, we don't have an effective treatment specifically mm. for dengue. We don't have an effective vaccine for dengue. So definitely, you know, hopeful that we will see something um, come out of this. You know, with all these steps forward that we've made in the past decades um, through the work of various researchers as well as through the work that DNI has been doing, how far away do you think we are, Jean-Michel, from effectively reducing the number of neglected diseases? Have we done enough? Are we moving in the right direction? No, we haven't done enough. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, we are we are a small fry. Uh, mm. DNDI is a small organisation. It's... Uh, uh, 60,000, 60 million euro uh, a year, or well, it's a lot, and that yet it's nothing. Mm. Um, uh, developing a new treatment is a, is a five, 10, 15 years uh, endeavor. Um, it costs a lot of money. It is expensive, you know. Uh, it, it might not cost as much as big pharma claims, but it is expensive. So, um, but what, what we need to see through the work that the NDI does, especially the, I think the, the work we have done, we are doing now with the alliance and the collaboration, the, the international collaboration that we see, it, what we need to, to see is um, these are new ways to develop drugs. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we, we need to close down Big Pharma and go with the, the NDI way. No, we need to have all of it. And we need to make sure that um, we have um, more people involved in research and development and not just through the market-driven solution. Um, uh, health, as far as I'm concerned, and we've seen that through COVID, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a common good. Uh, I don't think we can apply to health um, the same criterion standard as we do for uh, a piece of bread or a car. And even a piece of bread could be uh, disputed because, you know, it's food and it's essential. But a car or a TV set or a mobile phone, mm. you know, f uh, I've been work for 25 years in, in global health. I think it's a common good. It belongs to all of us. A healthy nation, healthy people are essential to the success of, of a nation and to the success of the world. I think COVID was a very strong test of that, a testament of that. And I think we failed, you know, mm -hmm. uh, if we look at um, global health, 
how global health, the global health system responded to uh, the COVID uh, outbreak. Um, there was huge money poured into um, a global mechanism and it delivered almost nothing. Um, you know, there was very little collaboration between countries. The West hoarded uh, vaccines. Uh, vaccines while the poor countries were um, needing them. Even so, right now. Even right now. Yeah. So, so I think there is a lot to do uh, to to challenge the the status quo, to to uh, challenge global health into delivering, and countries like Malaysia, which you know, which which have a potential of uh, research and development. In my opinion, countries like Malaysia, Thailand in the region, but also probably soon Vietnam and Indonesia, are countries that can play a role mm. uh, in uh, working together, bringing solutions. And, and I think the more we see alternative models and solutions, such as the NDI, but not only the NDI, the more the mainstream model will feel challenged and adapt. I think that's what's important. Um, today, in the alliance, uh, in the Dengue Alliance, when we see that a researcher from Brazil, mm -hmm. India, Thailand and Malaysia sit around the table and share data, mm -hmm. information, because they are all public health institutions, so they feel comfortable about talking together about data and so on. Uh, you know, this is really refreshing. Mm -hmm. in terms of approach. This is really interesting um, and uh, uh, and rich. The conversations are rich and I, I, I can see we are going in the right direction. So we need more of that mm. and there's not enough of it. Mm. It's a matter of just connecting the right people to each other, yes. isn't it? And also breaking, you know, breaking the... the, the uh, that idea that that the only way we can do research and development is through expensive big pharmaceutical companies. No, it's not true. A lot of countries have the resources, have the expertise as well. It's just a matter of recognizing where Absolutely. it is. Mm. What's next for DNDI in the next twenty years? You know, are you hopeful that things will move forward for the better? Well, I think we 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 need to have you know we need to be able to close mm -hmm. some of the disease area we are looking into, and we need to open new one like we just did for for dengue. I think in the next twenty years, um, for for the NDI issues around uh, global warming are important. Mm. Uh, gender, uh, you know, for for example, if we uh, um, you know dengue, okay, it's it's um, the narrative, the common narrative, it's a, it's a killer disease. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not true anymore. You know, I mean, it still kills a lot of people. But uh, uh, in many countries, like Malaysia, for example, you don't necessarily die of dengue so often as you used uh, before. But when you have it, you wish you'd die because it's so painful, you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so changing the narrative uh, to reflect more um, the, the need of patient and patient outcome. And in that... For example, in dengue, women, um, menstruating women, for example, uh, are more at risk than other women, than other people, sorry. Um, pregnant women, mm. uh, if, uh, if you have dengue and you are pregnant, this is really a high-risk scenario. So we need to stop uh, you know, having a conversation that is mostly driven by male researcher, and we also need to include women in the conversation.
That's why we are also organizing, um, we hope to organize uh, a Women in Science conference as part of uh, the, the 20th anniversary celebration. We'll do that probably in February next year. Mm -hmm. But it's just to uh, rebalance a little bit research and development uh, towards half of the population. Uh, which often is neglected in, in the research. For example, if you do research uh, for new drugs um, that exclude a pregnant women, well, that's a lot of people, mm. you know, at the end of the day, or, or women that could be pregnant. And it's exactly what we saw during COVID, right? Because there were so many questions about, for example, whether the vaccine was safe in pregnant women, and we just didn't know exactly. for a while. So for us, that is an area of concern. Global warming, of course, um, and uh, making sure, you know, we, we continue to challenge the, the, the status quo on uh, research and have more initiatives such as the NDI, but not only the NDI, who um, encourage collaboration between endemic countries. So mm -hmm. that's, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big champion of South-South collaboration, you know, of not waiting for, if you wait, so I'm French, but if you wait for us to solve your problem, you're going to wait a long time, as COVID <laughs> showed us. Um, so you need to take your own problem into your own hands. And you can, a country like Malaysia, especially in partnership with Thailand, for example, which is also very, which has also a very strong potential um, and then, of course, India. India is a giant. China is, so China is also a giant, soon to be in research and development. So collaboration in between those countries is essential, in my opinion. And for the NDI, moving away from our role of uh, maybe uh, being in charge, but fostering this kind of collaboration around uh, uh, drug development is, is a challenge. Well, I was, I'm certainly looking forward to what um, what other uh, works are in the pipeline for DNDI. Thank you so much for Thank joining you. me today, Jean-Michel. I've been speaking to Jean-Michel Piedanel, Director for Drugs for Neglected Diseases Initiative, Southeast Asia, and we have been talking about the work that they've been doing in conjunction with their 20th anniversary this year. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Good Things episodes, you can download our podcast on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suan and this has been Good Things, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.